The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. So, um, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Rory Sterling, uh, early stage investor with uh, BGF Ventures, who's invested in uh, a number of high growth UK technology companies, the likes of uh, New Voice Media, Masabi and uh, Amrivu. Rory, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Hey Gary, thanks for having me on, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. So, Rory, just to kick things off, how did you get into the world of uh, venture capital? Uh, that's a good question. Um, via a failed startup is the uh, is the short answer. So, I um, started a business about ten years ago. Ended up raising a small amount of angel funding um, uh, to build a product. Back when uh, social networking was just coming out of universities. It's amazing how much things have changed since then. Um, and we very quickly realized that we didn't know what we were doing. There were, we met uh, other founders that were way more impressive than, than I was. They could build their own products. They could write code. They were solving, uh, they were building products to solve problems that they had experienced in their own lives. Um, and no, none of those things were true for me. Um, but what I, but I was a lot more interested in the uh, products and businesses that other founders were building. And I realized that there was a group of people who built their entire careers out of investing and supporting other people's startups. Um, and they were called venture capitalists. Um, and I, I very quickly knew that I, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I basically spent the next six months um, working my way into trying to get a role in venture capital. Um, and so I've been doing this for nearly 10 years and uh, I absolutely love it. And I'm, I'm passionate about uh, really having an impact on the European startup ecosystem, um, you know, through investing. It's great, great to hear that passion coming through. Um, what what advice do you have for a, a technology founder um, embarking on their very first uh, VC fundraising? Um, wow. Okay. I thought you were going to say, what advice do I have for someone who's considering doing a startup? And and uh, perversely, my number one advice would be don't do it um, because when I get asked that question by people who haven't even started the journey yet, yeah, you can be sure that if they're on the fence and they can, if they can be persuaded not to do it, then <clears throat> they uh, they won't have the resilience to see the journey through. I really do think it's, it is that resilience as a core characteristic, which we see uh, in many, many successful entrepreneurs. Um, but on, on your question in terms of fundraising, <clears throat> um, I guess the, the fundraising landscape has changed so significantly since I entered this market. And, and the good news is, at every stage, there's just there's a much healthier ecosystem, and I would say particularly if you're doing your first round of funding, it's more likely to be friends and family, or or a seed round, or an angel round, um, and that really is a very active part of the market now. <clears throat> so I would uh, my advice would be to treat it as a core part of your uh, your job as a founder, dedicate um, uh, you know a decent chunk of uh, time uh, to it as a, as a specific project, if you like in the same way that you'd go about selling your product to your first B2B customer. So define um, you know, who, who your audience is, like there are only so many funds that you want to approach. Uh, we, uh, those, uh, the names of those funds are now publicly available and you can do a lot of research around that. I would then figure out who the uh, individuals are within those funds 
that uh, is your product can resonate most strongly for. So the beauty of the world that we live in now is, is we have public networks. So you can find these individuals on their, their website, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Medium, you know, probably from their social profiles, which events they're going to be at, what they're writing about, what they care about, what they've recently invested in. And you really need to do, do I believe, if you want to increase your chances of success, you need to go to that level of granular detail to really scope out, uh, think of it as your, your, your target customer, uh, figure out what makes them tick um, and how you can best pitch yourself uh, to, be, to be relevant. Um, that's just the, the beginnings. Then you need to find out um, a way to get in front of them or get introduced to them. And as I said, you could either do that through attending events, which you know they're going to be attending, um, or uh, I would say an even better route, given that we live in this world of public networks, is find out someone in your network that knows that individual and can make a nice warm introduction for you um i really do think that's the most powerful way of, of getting in front of someone so those uh, warm intros to vcs being the way to to grab their attention rather than a, a cold approach that's uh, that's important yeah think, yeah and just to put it into context gary that's not um that's not because there's any uh i really believe this that's not because of any arrogance or lack of interest from VC. If you think about it from my perspective, my my full-time day-to-day job is to meet meet great founders. So I love being introduced to as many founders as, as, as I can. However, there's a real volume problem in the job that we do. So as a team at BGF Ventures, you know, we're eight people, we'll probably see close to 2,000 business plans a year, and we end up investing in 10 of them, uh, or 10 to 12 of them. Um, and so that, you know, if you think about it from a B2B perspective, we've got a real funnel problem. Uh, where we've got a lot coming in the top, but in reality, we only have so much resource uh, to do some, you know, probably 1% of less than 1% of those as investments. Um, and therefore, people take shortcuts to get through that because there just simply aren't enough hours in the day to speak or meet every founder. And therefore, you know, people you get introduced to via your network really is a very important way that VCs, um, you know, uh, get introduced to the, to the people that they can actually meet. Sure. Um I'm reflecting on your comment earlier about resilience. Um, resilience is a key criteria for anyone, even on the path at the start of the path to um, setting up a, a, a business. So how, when you're speaking to founders or even prospective founders, people who are maybe working in a, in a corporate um, life, but looking at, at setting up their own business, how do you test for founder resilience in, in your initial meetings and conversations with them? It's such a great question. And, um, and maybe, maybe you and I can have another conversation about this where you can help me through your, your own experience in executive search. But it, it's something that I've been thinking about for a, for a long time. And I won't um, even you know, pretend to preach to your, your audience. I mean, if, if, if the people listening to this are entrepreneurs, they already know that resilience is, uh, is a very um, core part of uh, being a successful entrepreneur because right from the very get-go, they will have experienced the highs and lows um, of what that looks like. <clears throat> I think if you haven't started a company yet and you're, you're considering it, um, then, then it's really not to be underestimated. I guess when I meet, uh, uh, you know, there's there's three things that VCs invest in: there's, there's product, market, and there's and there's team. And I, I would say different individual investors and different funds prioritize those things in different ways. And there's there's a kind of endless debate in our industry as to 
you know, a lot of people would use the cliche that, you know, team first and we invest in people, which I absolutely agree with. But there's also a sentiment in Silicon Valley that, um, you know, the market is incredibly important. Um, you know, if, <clears throat> if you're going to build the very biggest companies. Um, but personally, I think um, I, I would come back to this. Uh, I would come back to the team point and resilience. And if I look at the successes that I've had in my, you know, short career so far or, potential successes, they really are people that would, and even more so actually in a B2B context, they're people that I just think of as walking through walls to get stuff done. Um, they have an incredible energy, they have an incredible focus, and they have an incredible ability to put uh, to put the blinkers on when they need to and just focus on what's in front of them. And if they focus on the, the full journey or the full road, they would just never even begin. Okay. <laughs> we tackled resilience and, and what sort of person should embark on the on the whole startup journey in the first place. Um, in a previous conversation, you talked about the types of people, types of company that are, actually, that are suited to VC funding as opposed to trying some other route to starting and funding a business. So what sort of people, assuming they got the resilience in the first place, what sort of people, what sort of companies is VC funding most suited to, in your opinion? It, it's worth dwelling on for a second that 99.9% of companies created in, in the UK or, you know, or, or Europe each year are not uh, designed specifically from the outset to build billion dollar businesses and require you know, plenty of funding to get there. You know, a lot of people found companies as lifestyle businesses to, to create an income for their directors and they never reach you know, a scale beyond you know, a few people. Um, and then obviously there's plenty in between. I, I mean, I, um, I, I particularly like the definition of um, startup, uh, which was, I think was, was uh, written by Paul Graham. He, he describes startups being designed as companies designed to grow quickly, ran really quickly at that. So everything you're doing from, from the get-go is, is about building that company quickly. And uh, so again, it, you know, it's a healthy reminder for me because we spend so much time in this small uh, kind of funny corner of the universe called startup world um, and venture capital where everyone we meet is has an ambition to build a really big company. But that, that's, you know, that's not the norm. And I think it's worth reminding ourselves of that. And if someone is not convinced that they are willing to give up uh, everything to, to achieve that outcome, then I would say there are alternatives open to them, um, you know, in terms of types of funding or, or the path to achieving that growth um, and you know profitable growth from the outset should not be underestimated. So do you really test for their propensity to sacrifice, so it sounds like it is a, a major sacrifice, to sacrifice um, a lot of things in their life to pursue that billion dollar um, aspiration? It's a, it's a tough question for me Gary because I, I, I actually um, think a lot about the so I, I personally believe the success of a startup is based on the success of the individual founders. You know, these companies would not exist in their early years if it wasn't for the individuals driving them. And so on the one hand, um, you need to build successful, those, those individuals need to be successful. And, and part of that is, is having some balance or some um, uh, semblance of balance in, the, in their lives uh, and whatever that takes, you know, for you as an individual. So I, I'm not saying you have to give up everything to achieve it, or I don't want to think that. On the flip side, when we're assessing, you know, venture-backed businesses, it's pretty damn obvious from the outset that the people who are having conversations with us are um, have phenomenal vision 
and mission, and that is what's driving them to build these companies. So I would say actually it's pretty rare in my conversations with entrepreneurs for me to en ever end up having a conversation along the lines of, you know, perhaps you shouldn't raise venture capital and you should you should consider other routes. I just think when you're talking to a broader audience about starting companies, it, it, you know, it's a it's a helpful reminder. But Gary, I would sum up by saying the reason I love my job so much is that every, you know, I meet hundreds of entrepreneurs a year, but every couple of weeks or once a month, I will meet an individual who absolutely blows me away and teaches me something uh, about an industry that I didn't know or teaches me about a new industry, which, or a new product or a new technology I didn't know. And they, they change my perspective on reality. And that's, that's the powerful bit about what we're doing within technology startups, people who believe they can build things that don't currently exist today and that they can actually build the future and that future looks different to how it looks today. I think those, those people are just extraordinary. And, and many of them, as you rightly point out, are prepared to give up a huge amount to achieve that vision. So t tell me about the last time someone or, or a situation, presumably an individual or a conversation, changed your perspective on reality. Huh. Well, you know, I can think of a, I actually can think of a couple of recent examples. Um, and the trouble is, I'm going to have to be very high level on this, otherwise, they, they, um, it may be obvious as to who I'm talking about. But I guess a recent, one recent example, which you know, there's lot, there's plenty of lessons in venture capital, and one, and one thing I just observe is our whole industry, uh, or whole, whole careers rather, are built around very few data points and very long feedback loops. And what I mean by that is. I personally will probably invest in two or three or maybe four companies a year. Um, and we, I, we will work very closely with those companies, but ultimately if they're going to be successful, their, their journey to success is you know, probably seven to 10 years. And so your, your learnings as a, as an individual who you, you're building or, you know, your career around the decisions to invest in those companies is, is very long and very sparse. Um, and so I, you know, when I learn new lessons, um, they're, they're valuable lessons. But to answer your question, I met a, a founder recently who I probably, if it hadn't come through a personal recommendation, wouldn't have met. Because when you look at the pitch deck for the company, it was pretty obvious that the market they were going after had already been won by one of the, you know, very substantial success stories in, um, in technology today. And you look at it and you think they were chasing, you know, a, a market, a problem in a market that had already been solved. But I took the meeting because because that person came incredibly highly recommended. Um, and when you know, by the you know, by the time I was halfway through the meeting, I was absolutely convinced this person was going to um, really build the next winner in, in that category. And they were going about it in a uh, in a in a new and differentiated enough way. And they were showing me how that market could be not just slightly better, but quantum's better for a particular audience within that segment. And that, that was really cool. Look forward to hearing more about them when uh, maybe when an investment's actually announced. Um, you, you mentioned um, a continuum in a previous conversation with me, a continuum of value that can be created or destroyed uh, depending on the investor leadership team synergy. So tell us a little more about that continuum. Yeah, I, I really don't want to be the pessimist on this subject. I think. Um, but I, I think I am being a realist. And I, the point I was trying to make previously, Gary, um, and I'll repeat here for your, for your audience, is that I think the whole industry, uh, both founders and investors, um, optimize 
for value add from a, from an from an investor. So the the VC funds are telling the market how much value they can add to startups, and therefore startup founders are optimizing and looking for that value add, um, which is an absolutely awesome thing for us to have. You know, I, I I truly believe that VC only exists to serve you know great founders and building their companies. You know, we're, we're a service industry. And the, the quicker that we realize that as an industry, the better that we will be. Having said that, I really think, and I'll, I'll credit my ex-partner at, at NMC Ventures, John Coker, on this, because he, he, he kind of pitched it to me in this way. You know, he, he talked about, you know, value being a spectrum that runs from, uh, you, know, you know, highly uh, additive on the one end and positive to negative and value destructive on, on the other end. And I don't think that continuum should be, should be ignored. So when... A founder is, you know, when a, when a founder has the choice of who to raise money from, and they've gone through a full process, and they're considering who they want to work with and spend the next, you know, potentially ten plus years building a company with, they should really be weighing up both ends of that continuum. So, the very best founders I know are not choosing, uh, invest, you know, not choosing their investors purely on uh, the best valuation or the best terms, although that is clearly a very important part of it, but they're but they're choosing them based on the relationship and the trust that they can build with the individual investor and the firm they're taking investment from. As soon as you take money from a VC, you cannot divorce or unwind that relationship on either side, the founder or the VC. Um, and they are a partner in the most precious and probably important thing in your life, which is this startup uh, company. Um, and that's, that's a really important consideration. So, I believe the value, the way to avoid the value destructive destruction end of the spectrum, uh, and I, I have seen this at times firsthand, is that if you're not aligned on the journey and you're not aligned on the vision of what you're trying to build and the risks you're willing to take to get there, and even the value set between the two individuals, between the founder and the VC investor, then I, I genuinely think you're in for a much more painful ride and potentially you'll end up holding back or even destroying value in your company. If you, can, if you can get that right, then I believe the value add that any VC investor can bring on top of that is just, it's just a bonus. Um, and, and, and I'm conscious that may not be everyone's point of view, but I, I really think that's worth thinking about for a founder. So taking as much care in uh, choosing your VC partner as you would in, in choosing a spouse or a partner in life. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean you, you joke about it, Gary, but I, I think the average life of a venture-backed business is probably longer than the average, you know, American, uh, or I don't know why I'm picking on the Americans there, but the average marriage, you know, it, you, you, or you certainly spend more time, um, uh, more years with your investor than you do with your high school friends. And that's really worth thinking about. Yeah, that is um, scary in some ways. Okay, um, let's talk about the future. Uh, for a few moments. Tell us about the next three years for you and the roadmap for scaling um, BGF Ventures. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, good question, Gary. Thank you. I think um, it's a good question for me because actually not many people think about how you build a venture fund. I think, you know, we think about VCs as the individual investments that they choose to make rather than the firm that they're building. And uh, me and my partners here, Simon Calver and Harry Briggs, we really thought from the outset about the company that we wanted to build and ultimately building something bigger than ourselves. And I'm, I'm not being too grand about that. We're conscious that we're only ever going to be a, probably a team of 
you know, uh, up to 15 people probably. Um, and so we're, we're not a true scale up by any stretch, uh, but we really do have to think about the, the strategy and tactics that we're um, deploying to be successful and also the team that we're hiring to get there. Um, so we're, we're, we've actually been going two years. Um, uh, we're a 200 million pound fund. We're focused on what we call series A here in the UK um, in both B2B and consumer businesses. Um, and, you know, in the first year, we were really, it was really about proving that we could get out there and invest in companies um, and actually doing what we wanted to do rather than just being out there talking about it. Um, the second year was really about proving that we could build a, build a team uh, to invest. You know, so our early investments were all made by Simon, Harry and I. Um, and then I'm really proud to say that we built a team over the past 12 to 18 months. And we've welcomed some amazing people into that, into that team. And our most recent hire is actually uh, Wendy Tan White, who joins us in, in October from Entrepreneur First. She's our she's going to be our fourth partner, uh, and we've um, and we've welcomed three other investors to our team too. Um, so that was the kind of first two years, and, and looking forward for me, it's you know really about um, you know what do we want to be famous for in the market? What do we want to be known for? Um, and I think I think you know venture capital is increasingly a, a, a very competitive space, and the best founders have a choice of who they raise from. And if we really want to have an impact on the European startup ecosystem over the next 10 years, we need to build, bring something new to the market other than just capital. And capital is the easiest thing to commoditize over time. And as technology investors, we need to recognize that, you know, capital will, will, is and will get commoditized. And therefore, a founder choosing a, a venture investor, is, it's got to be about more than just capital. So that, that comes back to that value-add approach. I think we've got um, a real... Uh, advantage as being part of a, a larger investment firm, BGF. Um, you know, we've got 150 odd people across nine offices in the UK. We've got two and a half billion under management. Um, we've got a, a, a talent team. We've got, um, you know, a huge network and reach, uh, which which we're leveraging. So in our team, you know, we get to leverage all of that, which is great. Um, but and, and first and foremost, uh, what I didn't mention, you know, I really believe the best venture firms are about a combination of um, skills and experiences within the team. So actually between our founding partnership, we have founding, operating and investing experience, which I think is really important. So there's this age old debate uh, in venture capital about who, what makes a better investor, you know, an operator or, or, a, or someone with investment background. And I'm proud to say that we've, that we've got uh, all of that in our team. So um, that's what's important to us. BGF Ventures, the full, the full package. That's great. So, um, Rory, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you started out as a VC? <laughs> oh, there's so much, Gary. If I um, honestly, I, I, I so I really think about VC investing as a career, and I'm very invested in um, kind of my own growth within that. So I, I think each year about what I've learned and what I what I want to achieve going forward. Um, and there's been so many uh, important lessons. And actually, every year that I do it, it doesn't get any easier. See, it actually seems to get more difficult the more I learn um, about venture capital. So uh, I'll give you a very short um, kind of synopsis of, of the mental journey, which is that you start in venture capital and immediately th you think it's easy because there are, uh, you know, if you've got money to invest, there are entrepreneurs emailing you and people coming in through the door wanting to pitch to you. And you, and therefore you, it's easy to think your job is sitting back and choosing which of those companies is the best companies to invest in. And then 
pretty quickly after that, you realize that if you if you do that, you're basically on the outside of the industry looking in. You know, you're being very passive and and, re and reactive. Um, and our industry is all is is very skewed towards those outlier companies that are built by the very best founders. Um, and those people have a choice of who they raise money from. And you've got to work really hard to um, get their attention, gain their trust, and and build value with them over the long term. So, uh, like I said, our, our whole careers as VCs is is as a, a service provider to, to founders and we, and we wouldn't exist without them. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned um, is just what actually the role of, of, of a VC is. And then uh, the other thing that I, I, I guess you, you know, at each stage in your career, you play into your comfort zone. So in the beginning, you know, I, I was, um, uh, you know, I was young and there was a lot I didn't know, but I, I thought that what I was good at was detail. So I was incredibly detail orientated on you know a bunch of different things related to to companies and and pretty quickly you know you learn that a lot of that detail isn't important um and you know i've really changed the way that i operate and the way that i build relationships with founders the most uh the kind of uh, most enjoyable parts of the job is really getting out of the way of great founders and um and letting them rip when things are working so uh, I try not to get bogged down too much um, in the detail. I put a huge amount of trust into the founders that we back. Uh, and we, I know it's a cliche, but we genuinely try to build a really trusting relationship with them where we're, where we're true partners. And, you know, for the, for the most part, that seems to work really well. You know, I, I can't talk about them publicly, but there have been some situations where, you know, founders will, you know, you'll, you'll be the call that they make when they're really in a, in a difficult situation. And, and believe me, that difficult situation could be professional in the company or it could be a personal situation. And those are the times where I like, you know, where I know that the relationship is working when they can pick up the phone and have those conversations. Um, so your, your passion for the, the VC life and the VC career has been coming through loud and clear. But if you weren't a, a VC, what other profession would you love to try? It's almost like you have a, an inside track into my, my head, Gary. I, we, we, um, I was having a conversation with a coach, an executive coach the other day, and we were talking about the subject of, um, you know, how, when you know that you're doing the right thing professionally, and the conversation was basically along the lines of, if you made a life-changing amount of money tomorrow, um, you know, what, what would you be doing? And it's an incredibly powerful realization to to uh, to realize that you'd be doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> um, I would be, and and I feel incredibly privileged to be in that position. You know, I would still genuinely uh, be getting up in the morning, wanting to meet the best founders, um, and uh, work with them, put money into their companies, and work with them to build great companies over a long period of time. Um, and so I, I, I wouldn't change it for the world if I if I absolutely had to. Um, clearly, there's been many points in my VC career when you think is now the time where we I step out of venture and into a into an operational role in a company, um, and then very quickly you realise that actually you're unemployable as a VC because you become a complete generalist, um, and actually you wouldn't you know there aren't that many roles that you'd be able to necessarily fulfil. Um, within a high growth business, because if you look at the companies that we're backing, you know, they really do have uh, the ability to hire the very best talent into every role. Um, but I, 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 having said that, um, 
ignoring all of that detail, I would, I think the journey of building something, building a startup um, and particularly building it in a market where you can have a huge impact. You know, I, I often talk about um, ed tech and, and education. I just think there are certain markets where you can have so much impact and they're so ripe for change. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the future a little more. What would you like to see change in the UK VC and, uh, and startup ecosystem? I guess, I guess it comes back to our, the reason we started BGF Ventures and our, and our, and our ambition here. The thing I'd really like to see change, or not, maybe change is too strong. The, the thing I'd really like to see achieved is, um, is startup founders being proud of their venture community. So, uh, you know, a VC industry that lives up to the entrepreneurs within, within it. Um, and I say that not because I don't think that exists today. I think there are parts of it that exist, but I really think that we can do even better. And, you know, in the 10 years that I've, um, that I've kind of been in the startup industry in London, it's changed beyond recognition. And there is this flywheel in motion, I feel, where um, we're on a journey and, the, and that, that it's an upward trajectory and there may be ups and downs along the way, but I really do feel like the more success that we deliver in Europe, it creates this, um, you know, successful, virtuous circle, if you like, um, where success breeds more success, you know. And so each big company that gets built and is becomes high profile, I celebrate because it's a new hero for us to look towards as both investors and founders. Um, it creates talent from that company, which I know that you care about a lot, um, that can then that be put to great use in, you know, in, in other high growth businesses. Um, it creates uh, capital or, you know, it, um, successful investment returns to investors who are willing to reinvest that back into the European ecosystem. Um, it creates great non-exec directors and advisors, um, you know, to, to, to new companies. Um, all of that is just this really powerful flywheel that I think is, is in motion. And, you know, so for me, I really want us to... Um, do everything we possibly can. No matter where you sit in the market, whether you're in, uh, an investor, a founder, whether you're in executive search, whether you're um, you know, a talent in one of these companies, I want to do everything possible to make sure that we achieve that, that, that potential uh, here in Europe. And you know, for too long, and I think this has changed, changing a little bit, for too long we've, we've looked at our US counterparts as, uh, you know, as we've been living in their shadows, if you like, and I really feel like we're building something um, uh, equally successful but different here in Europe. <laughs> Great vision for the future, Rory. Thanks, thanks for that. What's the one company that got away? The one company you wish you'd invested in since since you got into VC? Why is it the one that you really wished you had invested in? Yeah, there's. I mean, so I'm, I'm actually pleased to say that there are plenty and I, the reason I say that is because it's easy to <laughs> there should be plenty of ones that get away otherwise you're not seeing the right companies and so uh, venture is one of those perverse industries where you say you end up saying no to 99% of companies and yet the ones you say yes to you're still more often wrong than right um, and what I mean by that even if you invest in 10 companies it actually ends up being a very small percentage of those that end up building hugely successful businesses. Um, 
and, and along that journey of the 99% you say no to or you don't get a chance to invest in, you know, there will be many successes in, in there too. I think that it would be, if I had to choose one, it would be difficult not to mention Deliveroo. Um, and, it, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say too much in a public context because it would be divulging, you know, conversations I had with the founder at the time. But, you know, going back to the very beginning of that journey, I, I'm just so... Um, Sort of proud of the fact that that company has been built here in Europe, and I know it's got you know plenty of challenges, and it's even incredibly competitive environment right now. Um, but you know they really have built uh, an incredible company at incredible speed, and and if you mention um, Amazon and Uber as their two biggest competitors, that's that's saying something. Um, and, and to even acknowledge that Deliveroo is a meaningful competitor to, you know, to Uber uh, in, 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 in that category, I think is, is a really impressive thing given that business has been built here in Europe. And I don't for a moment think that they would be there if they hadn't had really ambitious, um, well, obviously a really ambitious founder, but really ambitious investors around that table who are willing to deploy significant amounts of capital to help them scale internationally very quickly if they hadn't done that and they'd been capital constrained and were just in the uk then frankly my point of view is that they you know they would have been consolidated or or, or you know a, a long time ago um and so that i think that's that's really amazing and that's a that's a sign of a changing market that that um can happen so i'm, I'm not even predicting how that plays out but um but I'm, I'm i'm proud that company's been built here and i think the speed with which it's been done is, is pretty incredible um but, but you know I, there are there are others on that uh spectrum too you know if i think back to the beginnings of funding circle um, and what those guys have achieved and, and what they had at the beginning when we first met them and if i think back to you know swiftkey um you know in, in the very early days you know swiftkey is a was a true technology business in the sense that they were you know a product that didn't even have um users at, you know at, at, at the beginning um and they were playing in a market that everyone thought was completely closed you know android was was nowhere at the time ios was a completely closed environment um and yet they still got venture funding at the beginning and they and they brought um you know vcs on board that that were willing to to buy into that vision i just think that's 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 awesome so a few a few fabulous companies there but uh, but no regrets so pe penultimate question for me um who inspired you to be who you are um professionally or, or personally gary let's make it professionally so i was going to say my wife <laughs> um because <laughs> i think um you know she inspires me both personally and professionally um but on a on a purely professional note and, and this is a, i guess there's a, there's an ounce of sadness in this but i really do look to because I, I after talking about that europe europe versus us um kind of perception i really do look to a number of our us counterparts in venture for what greatness can look like you know and i really if i think about some of the personalities that i've met and worked with around board tables um, and got to know in, in the US, I've learned more from those individuals than I've learned from anyone else. Um, and I think there are certain individuals that we can all name in the US market that do the job with such 
grace and wisdom um, that, are, that, that, that really inspires me. Um, you know, they've proven that you can be one of the best investors in this market globally at the same time as building incredibly strong relationships with founders and always having the back of founders and being on their side. You know, this is one of the rare markets where the investee, if you like, the, the founders get to choose the investor. And this is not, um, you know, this is not hedge funds. This is not private equity where companies are being bought. You are investing as a minority investor in someone else's company and you're going on that journey with them. And I think, you know, those investors who've shown us the way in terms of how you build relationships and how you support companies, um, that's, that's definitely what inspires me. And I, I would love us to bring more of that thinking and more of that mentality to Europe. Hmm. Lovely answer. Okay, uh, last question from me today, Rory. What's your favorite business or technology book or blog or even podcast? What, what should we be listening to or reading to, to inspire um, and and, uh, and nurture our own uh, learning and success? Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I, I actually um, have really had to nurture the way that I kind of read and listen to information in our market because there's just so much of it. Um, so I have to be pretty selective about what I read. Um, so I, I kind of break my... Um, my reading down into two types. There's there's news flow, which I read very high level and, and very lightly and, and broadly, and I try to get as much as I can. And there are, you know, we know all the, the you know the tech crunches of the world and the business insiders of the world that send out their daily updates. And there are a few like great things that summarize those. Um, I'm looking at my inbox now, which has the launch ticker in it, um, which I read regularly. And then the, the other type of um, content I read is, 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 is actually content. It's thought pieces. And, um, you know, I just think medium is an incredibly powerful, um, way to get content and get, get into the heads of other people's, uh, thoughts. Um, and there are very few individual newsletters that I subscribe to. Um, but Fred Wilson would be, would be one of them. Seth Godin would be another, um, Shane Parrish at Farnham street would be another. I think he's done an incredible job. Um, uh, what else? So maybe that's that's on the reading side, and then um, on the podcasting side, I just honestly podcasting, and the reason I agreed to do this interview, podcasting has become my number one media. Uh, if I think about the, the time spent during the day, um, and there's just some incredible content out there. So, you know, from VCs like Andreessen, who do in, uh, a very regular and very um, uh, you know broad, you know has huge breadth in terms of what they they have in their podcast um, is actually uh, similar similar to, to what you're, you're trying to build. Reid Hoffman's doing Masters of Scale in the US, which has been um, really interesting. Um, How I Built This, which is an NPR um, podcast, has been awesome, listening to founders about the way they've built businesses. Um, trying to think if there's any others. I, James Altucher, I think, is really good. He has a number of things that touches technology and, and startups. Um, Again, the Knowledge Project, which is Shane Parrish um, from Farnham Street. He has a good podcast. So I, I, in podcasts, I try to listen quite broadly and, and I try to, it's, it's more about how people think and how people make decisions as opposed to just thinking about technology and startups. So apologies if there's a bit of breadth in that.
<laughs> well, lots lots of advice for um for our listeners to go off and explore those uh those uh, uh newsletters and uh and, and podcasts and I I like Medium as well. I have to say, there's some fabulous content on Medium. It takes a little bit of time to, to digest some of that, but uh, um really find some uh, excellent insights uh, on medium so uh, we'll wrap up there uh, this has been gary reeman from uh, alpina search and uh, rory sterling from uh, bgf ventures rory thank you so much for joining us today gary it's been awesome thank you so much for having me this episode of the startup to scale up game plan was brought to you by alpina search Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.